Paul said he's going to turn it on because there's a lot of hot air maybe going to start right now. <laughs> oh, wow. The is up front, right? <laughs> you didn't even ask, right? You just didn't. <laughs> I hope you've all had a good week. If you haven't, it's your own fault. <laughs> we'll work on it today. How's that? So, we'll take your Bibles this afternoon, and we're uh, I'm not sure exactly where we're going to all head to. Uh, what have we been talking about? Let's, this is a test. If you flunk this, I don't know what we're going to do. What have we been talking about the last ten weeks? Grace. grace. Very good. We can move on. That's good. And uh, grace. Let's go to Romans chapter three, and. Uh, Again, I probably studied more and have less. I don't know what that means, but we'll, uh, we'll let it in God's hands. But let's start in Romans chapter 3. We'll begin in verse 19, and we'll read through verse 26. Romans chapter 3, beginning now at verse 19. Now we know that what's, what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight, For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus." Whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. May God add a special blessing, read of his word, and let us just pause for prayer prior to our study. Father, once again, we're thankful for the day that you've given to us. We thank you for all your riches that are really unfolded and unpacked under the label of grace, which was paid for by Jesus Christ. And Father, may we understand even more fully today what we have when we accept grace by faith. Father, we'll ask that you will allow the word to be concise and to be open and clear. To do that, we would ask that the Holy Spirit would exclusively be our teacher today. We would pray, Father, for your unfolding of grace. May it be a great day for us to, re- to see more clearly the relationship that we can have with you. And may that be stronger than ever before. We thank you now for what you'll accomplish. And these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> On our journey that we've been involved with in grace, we've talked about a number of different aspects of it. And today, maybe I, I, I was just actually just sitting here in the last number of minutes trying to get a direction, but maybe review. Have you ever had uh, a class somewhere where the, it, was, it was kind of getting to the end of some of the material and the teacher said, you know, maybe we should just review. Did any of you like reviewing? Yeah. One. <laughs> One. So you're going to be happy today. The rest of you just hang on and endure. It's, it's endure, right? Thank you, Mary Kay. We have one. If we would not have one, I don't know what we'd have done, right? Lynn, what would have we done? Yeah. I don't know, right? So thank you, Mary Kay, for coming. So with that, with that in mind, let's, let's talk about grace, maybe from its most basic terms. Um, what, is, what, is the, what do you guys, tell me what grace means. What does grace mean to you? 
Excuse me? Forgiven. Forgiven. When you don't deserve it. Free. Free. Unmerited. Unmerited favor. That probably is a, a very concise definition. Unmerited, undeserved favor. What else? There was a price. In fact, Ernie just said it was free, but literally to us it's free, but there was a tremendous price that it cost. Who did it cost? Christ. It was Christ. Can you buy it? Does God sell it? Does he trade it? Can you work for it? Well, you guys aren't even thinking. <laughs> I don't even, you're saying no before I even ask the question, right? But by the way, you're right. You're right. Right. It's, it's not a tradable commodity. How many of us need it? Everyone? There's not one that's good enough? Lynn, you must be. No. And, now, that was, that was pretty cool. Did you catch that now? I'm sorry. We have to explain to those that aren't here. Lynn, Lynn newlywed to Diane, is sitting in the front row. And Diane, who's gonna, we're going to have lunch via them today, she's sitting in the back row. And I asked Lynn if he was good enough. And not only did he say no, Diane said no in the back of the room. And by the way, Lynn, I'm sorry to say, she's right. <laughs> But it's that way for each and every one of us. In fact, it might do good for us to just maybe review just the whole problem that mankind has. God created the heavens and the earth and everything in them. And he said everything was good. You can follow through in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. It's awesome. You know, you can see God just starting with nothing. And to create of nothing, seeing this take, to take shape and form and, and all of the different aspects of the universe and the the beings, the, all, of the, all of that stuff just coming together beautifully. And he said at every, every juncture, it's good. It's good. There was only one place that it wasn't. It's not good that man should be alone. Very Excuse me? Very good. <laughs> right. And, and, and when he puts it all together, it's very good. When did it become not so good? Because, stop, don't answer that question yet. <laughs> if, if you were going to pick up, tune into the radio, look at the television... Look at your iPhone, whatever it might be, some form of communication. Would you say the world is very good today? No. No, it isn't. Why? What happened? Something happened. Sin. And when did that take place? The Garden of Eden. The first act of ungodliness, the sense of what really broke down. I mean, you talk about a major roadblock breakdown was in the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve. I mean, this, this is not just a nice garden. This is the Garden of Eden, more than we can even imagine. It's perfect. It is perfect. No weeds, no thistles, all that stuff, right? I don't even think it rained when they made hay. Oh, they didn't need any hay. It was even better than that, right? But you get the idea. Everything that we even think of today that is a challenge to us, really a lot of that came on board by the sense of sin. And it caused a great deal of problems, not just for Adam and Eve, but guess what? If you're here today, you were born into the same condition that Adam left us, and that is that everyone needs salvation. Everyone is lost. Uh, in fact, in Ephesians, let's go there for a moment. You'd like to get the bad news out of the way, don't you? 
That's what Tony said, absolutely. Ephesians chapter 2, let's go there for a moment. Ephesians chapter 2, and let's look at a condition that Paul unfolds for us. Literally, that we were in, in chapter 2 of Ephesians, it says, And you hath he quickened, that is to be made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. What can a dead person do for themselves? Nothing, absolutely zero. Nothing at all. Nothing at all. So let's go to, back to Romans chapter 3. We read a passage of it. Go back to Romans chapter 3 and, and look at the fact that who needs salvation or who needs life? Uh, Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12 says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. Verse 23, a, a verse that we just read actually says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, the one that word that sticks out to me, because I'm this kind of guy, because I'm, oftentimes I'm thinking, well, except for maybe there's an opportunity to be just one. Maybe there's one, you know, like maybe somebody somewhere. And did you see it? In three different occasions, all, all, all. Every single, no outsiders, no chance, nothing. We're all guilty before God. Now, you know what we usually do? Have you noticed this? We look around. I'm better than he. I'm better than she. As long as I'm better than somebody, I must be okay. Right? We do it, don't we? Go ahead and admit it. Look at that. I can't even get anybody to admit what's true now, right? It's amazing, though, isn't it? How we're in that comparable game. Just, yeah, it's true. But God doesn't mark on the curve. He can't because he's fully just. He's totally holy. But this sounds like man's in a great deal of problem. He is, by the way. But let's look at it. It gets worse in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. This is all, I'm sure, for many of you, very, uh, what should we say? It is review, isn't it? But it's good for us because understanding the real, under, uh, understanding what God accomplished in this world, I think, is incredibly important. Now, in verse 23 of chapter 6, he goes on to say this. For the wages of sin, the payment, if you will, is death. And the gift of God is eternal. Let, let me stop with that for a moment. Let's just let that soak for a minute. So all have sinned. And if you sinned, the wages, the debt, the payment is death. Oh, can I get out of this party? I don't want to be in this one. It's all inclusive. It's all inclusive. Can't get away from it. it be, in fact, you're wondering, How did, uh, wait a minute, I wasn't responsible for this. I just grew up on this planet. What did I do? Well, let's go to Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Romans chapter, you're, you notice we're doing a lot of stuff in Romans. Romans chapter 5, verse 12, it says, Wherefore by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon, oh, there's that all word again, and that, oh, there's it again, all have sinned. All, 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 all. Are you getting tired of the all word? We all are. Yeah, we all are. So it sounds like it's a very profound problem. Does God have a plan? Ah, that's where it comes in. The word, does anyone know what gospel means? Have you heard the gospel? G-O-S-P-E-L. What does it mean? What does that word mean? Good news. I have good news for you today in the fact that you've got a huge problem. And you can't, oh, by the way, there's two ways that you can, you can address this. Two basic ways that basic humanity takes this problem. The problem is sin, and you, it's inclusive. It's all inclusive. You can't get away from it. There, and, and what are we going to do? Number one, you know what the one is most common? The most common way that, that, uh, that we look at this problem? We ignore it. Let's not talk about it. Let's not think about it. 
Don't bring it up. I don't want just leave it away. Have you ever have you dealt with problems that way? Ooh. How does that work out for you? Now forget about got this problem. Any other problem that you have, just ignore it. Put blinders. You know what? Have you ever done this with a have you got a vehicle that overheats regularly? And there's got that gauge on there? Have you ever taken duct tape and <laughs> got no problems? See nothing, know nothing. How does that work out? <laughs> Boom, right? It's, it's done for. And you know what? It's, all, it's the same here. Anytime you want to ignore a problem, it doesn't make it go away. It doesn't void it. It's real. It's still there. So ignoring is one possibility. And you know what the other one is? You don't know. Okay, very good. How long should I linger here? Try to do, you're exactly right. Try to do it yourself. So I'm going to say we try to fix it. Now, a couple things on that. Have you ever tried to fix something you don't know anything about? No. What was, what was that? I said, oh, sure. Of course. Yeah, yeah. I'm getting smarter. Sometimes, you know, how it used, you know how it used to be really simple underneath the hood of a pickup or a car? It looked like an actual engine sitting in there, and it was room to actually get in and work on it. Now you open it. What is that? And there's stuff everywhere, right? And now you have to have a computer to even know what to do. So I don't mess with that stuff. And you know what? It tells us in the Bible there's nothing that any one of us can do to fix our problem with sin. There is nothing you can do. In fact, we're going to talk about this in a moment. There's some terms that we're going to be using as we go along. Uh, one of them, in fact, why don't we just stop about, we'll stop right now. Because God had a plan. Well, let's keep going. God had a plan. But there's a word I want you to remember, and it's called imputation. Don't let me forget it, okay? We've got to come back to that word because it's really, really important. Imputation. But look, before we go there, let's find out not only do we need a Savior, because, and we've talked why we need a Savior, but what does God do? Let's go to Romans chapter 5, verse 8. One of my favorite verses. There's lots of verses I love, but this one here is pretty cool. It says this, But God commendeth or showeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners. Now, that's the state we're in. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Whoa! Can you think of someone, now don't, let's not think too long, but someone that you really can't stand. It's just this one person that is just a dirty rat. Just a dirty rat. Okay, got him? Got him? Oh, not, not, that, not that many, just one, okay? Just, just one. And, and you, you got him now? You got him? Would you die for that person? Are you kidding me? Right? Okay, now I want to take that times a million, and then that number times a trillion, and that number times another million, and now we've got about what it amounts to where Jesus Christ, that's God, the very God, the Word, died for us, for me, for Larry, when I was a sinner. That's crazy. What kind of plan is that? That's a great plan. That's right, Ernie said it's a good plan. That's a fabulous plan. But now you're saying, well, wait a minute. How do we enact that? How do we get it? How do we receive it? Well, he goes on to say, uh, let's go to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, and we'll come back to a couple of things. Don't forget the word I asked you. What was it? Imputation. Imputation. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 says this. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now that is way cool. That's too easy, isn't it? Too easy. 
Got a problem, big problem. All, everybody's got the problem. No way to get out. We can't ignore it. We can't try to fix it. And God says, I got, I've got the perfect plan. In fact, if you read Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, it tells us this, that from the beginning, before the foundation of the world, before he made anything that was so beautiful and we see it today, before he made any of that, he had purposed, he had decided that he would provide the way for what would happen and what mankind would fall. Now, isn't that not cool? He's got a plan before we fail. I think my dad had some of those plans, too. He knew what would happen when I was driving a piece of equipment. And he was thinking ahead. Let's get some more parts on the shelf, right? But God actually put life on the shelf. He was there to provide everything we need. But how did he do it? It still seems almost too easy, doesn't it? How do we receive? But before we do that, even, I want you to see some of the benefits. Uh, Back to chapter 5, verse 1. We're going to start to look at some terms we need to define. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says this. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you were to read in Ephesians, remember where we started today? Ephesians chapter 2, it said we were dead in trespasses. It even goes further to say we were at enmity against God. We were at a war with God. I'm not at a war with God. Yes, you are. Because your, your distance from here, your fellowship has been broken because of that being born into sin. And you doubt me? Take that little baby, right? That little, cuddly, perfect baby. Especially if it's a grandson or baby, your own grand. They're perfect, aren't they? They're absolutely perfect. But it doesn't take too long to figure out they are selfish little demons, aren't they? (laughs) And that comes right with the package. You don't train them to do that. That comes naturally, doesn't it? And then it goes away at age three. No, it doesn't, does it? It's so ingrained in us, isn't it? See, that's part of the sin package. It's all about self. That's what Adam and Eve traded. They wanted to be like God. And it came down line. So how did God fix this problem? Because, by the way, he's, he's not... Have you heard... What's the difference between a pardon and... What's my other word? Oh, I'm going to say this. To be justified, to be a, a justification, and to be pardoned. What is a pardon? What is a pardon? Okay, and, and on what basis? That's tricky, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, exactly, it's a tricky. But you can see, you do. I'm, I pick, I've been, I'm been pick. Diane, you need to come out and protect your husband, <laughs> would you? Come back and protect but, your husband. But we can do it. Law can do it. Everybody, there's a lot of pardons legally. Okay, okay, let, now let's, let, that's right. Now let's, let's unfold that. What's behind a pardon? What did it cost anyone? No, no. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. Did you see it? Nothing. Now, that's not the way it could be. God couldn't just pardon us because there's a, there's a price to be paid. In fact, if you go back to the Garden of Eden, guess what? It cost some life, some blood, when Adam and Eve sinned. See, they went, to the, they went down to the local fabric store, and they got some figs, fig leaves. And they must have been really in style. They put those babies on, and, you know, they were good. And you know what God did? He killed two animals and put animal skins on. See, sin costs something. In fact, in Hebrews, it talks about that it requires blood. It's, it's not free. So something has to be paid. But it's said that Jesus Christ redeemed us. Now, I think we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Remember that? Does anyone remember the re- redemption? Redeemed? Do you remember the little story we used? Anyone? What did, I, what did I do? I went to the store and I bought a box of... Oh, this is fresh. Nobody's, nobody can remember it. Very good. Okay, this will be okay. How many of you redeemed something this week? Yes, somebody's raising hands. That's better than last time because they were scared to. So what did, what, what did you redeem? 
Could be a lot of things, couldn't it? You go to the store, go to Walter's IGA. And you go in and you purchase what I did last time, which I'm not necessarily a fan of Wheaties, but I bought a box of Wheaties. Remember this? Is this coming back? A few. Okay. I bought a box of Wheaties and I paid for it with cash. It's paid for. Whose is the Wheaties now? It's mine. I go out the door and the clerk comes behind me and says, I want those Wheaties back. And you say, no. But why? I've got a receipt. It's paid in full. Okay? That is exactly what Jesus Christ did when he redeemed you. He paid for you. What's that? doesn't matter to me, see? So if, if, even, if anyone sees you with that box, it's mine because I paid for it. And Jesus Christ is saying, now, by the way, Satan, he is an accuser of brethren. We're getting a little bit off topic, but he wants, he wants God to have a yard sale. He wants to throw all of his junk away. And when Larry sins, he has a bad... Have you ever had a bad day? This is bad because you're lying right now because not one hand is going up except mine. <laughs> so now you're having a bad day. But that's okay. I know you're having a bad day right now because you can't admit you're having a bad day. Bad day. And when you have... By the way, we're going to be talking about this as we go on because under grace, it's not just being saved by grace, but that's how we live by grace. That's the key, I think, really, where Christians sometimes... Live. There's a disconnect. You're saved by grace, but we don't live by grace. We have a couple of perform. We either have a performance thing, like we're going to really get it on, and we're going to do our stuff, and we're going to live the right way, and then we can brag about it because we're better than them, and all of that. Or the other side is is to be totally guilt induced, and that is they just beat you over the head, and you need to do this, not do this, do this, don't do this. Oh, and it wears you out. And guess what? Neither one is right. Neither one is right. You want to live by the same grace that you were saved, which is nothing of yourself. You're fully and completely dependent upon God, and that's called faith. Just as you're all seated here today in a chair, you're having faith. You're depending upon what you're seated on. It's so simple, and yet it's so difficult. How many find faith to be really easy? It's tough, isn't it? And the tougher the problem, the harder it is to really be faithful. Can I really trust God with that? Can I really trust him with it? And the answer is yes. Because if he can save you out of this major problem where you're destined to be doomed with the sin that you have, and he's got a perfect problem, a perfect solution to fix it, then why do we struggle when we're actually living in grace? I'm getting ahead of myself, obviously. Let's keep going. Remember the word that I told you we wanted to talk about? Imputation. imputation. Can somebody tell me what imputation means? There's parts of that that's right, yeah. It means to reckon, or let's, let's take it now. Like, I like examples. I like illustrations that we can just hang on to. Are you guys going to remember the Wheaties example? No. Till next week. Yeah, right? Okay, tomorrow, tomorrow. tomorrow somebody's going to go into the bank, Paul. Someone's going to come in there, and someone is going to deposit some money. You're shocked. Look at that shock. Look, everybody wants to borrow. They want to deposit, right? But but this this person's going to come in and they're going to have a deposit slip and they're going to have some. They're going to have a check and they're going to deposit that into their account. Now, when that teller, you know, she, she authorizes it. She looks at it, makes sure the numbers are right. And when she takes those keystrokes, guess what? It has been imputed into that person's account. Okay. 
That's what imputation is. It's a banking term to be put into, to be placed into, reckon into one's account. Now, there's two sides to look at that. I want to, this is the greatest trade of all time. I mean, you talk about doing business and getting it right. I'm going to tell you what. To, to fully accept grace by faith is the coolest thing imaginable. Because not only do you get rid of your sin, you, are, you get righteousness. Let's go to Romans chapter 4, verse 8. You need to know this. If you've accepted Christ as your Savior, this is really good. Romans chapter 4. And let's look at what is said now in, in uh, chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Saying, blessed are they whose iniquities, that is, sins are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Now watch verse 8. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Did you get that? Now, if you've trusted Christ as Savior, by, in other words, you receive grace by faith, guess what does never happen again? To have sin imputed to put in your account. And it's even better. Jesus Christ's righteousness, of he never sinned, but he died on a cruel cross. He died for my sin. He died for your sin. He imputed his righteousness into your account. Now, you were born bankrupt. Bankrupt. Mark, just get hold on. Just, just gather that up. And there's no way that you can fix it. And all of a sudden, two things happen. First of all, that bankruptcy, that sin that was, in, that was part of your... You know, did you wake up with a bankruptcy? Yes, you did. And it was in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. We're all born in sin. And that account number is... It's, oh, it's horrible. And you can't ignore it and you can't fix it. But not only that, Jesus Christ's righteousness is a deposit into your account. And he takes the sin and he literally wore it himself. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Let's look at this unfold. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. I mean, this is crazy good. Crazy good. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. That is the wrong play. Oh, no, there it is. It's cool. It's cool. There we go. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. I looked at the wrong verse. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, now he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor that you through his poverty might be rich. Did you see it? It's the greatest trade of all time. It's the greatest trade of all time. You got Jesus Christ's riches and you gave him your junk. And he paid a price on both sides. Why would he do that? Why would he do that? Why would God wake up? Now, oh, that was bad. God doesn't wake up. He's, he's, you, you know what I'm saying. But why would you think to do it that way? Am I over the top too animated? For God, so was love, wasn't it? That's a lot of love. That's a lot of love. Now, you may, you may have that person in your mind that you really, truly love beyond a shot of a doubt that you would lay down your life for. But that enemy, that one that's in your mind that you just can't really handle, the chances of you dying for that person are pretty low. And yet, Jesus Christ died for everyone while we were sinners. Now, you know, that is pretty cool. But I want you to show, show you something else now. As a result of that grace and that trade, the results also include this. Let's come back to uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 1. We, we were here, but I don't think we talked about one aspect of it. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that term justified, that's a... That's a judicial term. In other words, uh, it comes from the court. And if you're justified, you are declared not guilty. I'm not guilty. That's the one I want to be declared. 
when you go to court and you're declared guilty, that's the way we were born, was guilty. And God took this whole, he's got this plan, and he brings Jesus Christ on board. He redeems us. He imputes his righteousness in our account, and he does not impute sin on our account. No, and that's not just for that day, because you're going to have a bad day. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, trust me, you will have a day that it doesn't go the way it should go. It's just not going to. But that verse right there says, you do not have any more sin reckoned or imputed to your account. That is fabulous. Now, does that mean you never sin again? Oh, I wish it was true, but it's not. And Diane said that's not true for you either, just so you know. But what do we do then? What's happening to us? Let's keep going. There's another thing I want you to see. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. This is a wonderful verse. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ Jesus, if you've accepted grace by faith, there is no condemnation in you. Now, this is where I want to get into something now. <clears throat> Once you're saved and you're justified, that's a one-time done deal. You're never seen in Scripture as being unjustified. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you've accepted His grace by faith, on that moment that you trust Him, you have received salvation. And on that positionally, you are fixed. That's a time. In fact, if we were going to take a timeline, and we're going to, in fact, I can do that if I can find my deal. You have your life and you have birth. And you have death. Where one makes a decision to trust Jesus Christ as Savior, that's a spot probably, let's just put it right here. And that literally would be based upon the gospel, the good news. Okay? That's a break. Now, things have all changed. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, You are a brand new creature. All things have become new. It's not the same. And I say, good stuff. Okay? That would be the day that you would be justified, that you would be declared not guilty. That was the day that Jesus Christ imputed into your account righteousness. That was the day that your sin was whew, gone because he bought it. Why would he? What? It's all about love, isn't it? It's all about love. Love. No condemnation. You are free. You are free in Jesus Christ. Let's look at one more. Let's go to chapter 8 and let's turn down to verses 38, 39. Now, all of this is probably not new news for you, but it's important for us to review. For I am persuaded, verse 38, that, watch this now, neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You can't even be separated from this perfect gift. And you guys are way too quiet. Because this is the deal. You know what? We get tied up in a lot of things in society, don't we? You know, the ranch, and then you got cattle, and they aren't worth anything right now. Just so you know, just... But they say it's in cycles, right? How's the banking business? <laughs> oh, that was a tie together, wasn't it? <laughs> Cattle are low, no more money, banks have problems. And it's all tied together, isn't it? It's all tied together. It's all tied together. But you know what? The number one most important thing is what we've just talked about. What are you going to do with Jesus? There's nothing more important. There's nothing more important. But now I want to go to the next level. From this point forward, this is what I'd say from that justification to the end of your life here. Now you're fixed. Your future is fixed. 
You will be in the presence of Jesus Christ. You will be in heaven because of what Jesus Christ did. Because God no longer looks at you in your payment, on your, pro- your, your sin problem. He sees the blood of Jesus Christ and he said, you're covered, you're taken care of, you're atoned, you've been redeemed, you're mine. That's cool. Now, this is, there's a space now. This is what I want. We're changing gears a little. Still under grace. We've been saved by grace. Now I want to talk about being living by grace. Like tomorrow morning. And the next morning. And the next morning. How do we do that? Excuse me? Accept it. Okay. What is what is what is living grace? Living grace versus saving grace look like? What's the difference? Is there a difference? What is it? Oh, okay. In that in that way, yeah, there is. There actually is. You've got a, you've got a different segment of time. But is is living grace versus saving grace different? Before you answer that, because I I think there's a difference of opinion here. Okay, that's okay. Let's just hang on to that. Let's talk about it for a moment. So you've, you've gotten saved. You've trusted Christ as Savior. Your account is it's in great shape. You went from bankruptcy to perfection. It's as good as it gets. But again, let's come back to that. Let's say that tomorrow it was a good day. It was a good day. I mean, you did everything right. You got up, you read your Bible, you had devotions, you clicked through the seven things that we should be doing for Christians, and click, 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 and I'm awesome. <laughs> what, what are you shaking your head for? What, what's wrong with that picture? Isn't that what we're supposed to do? Aren't we supposed to be super Christians as soon as we get saved? What ha- what, do, you, do you see where you're going with this? Okay, but let's say that you did. Let's say you're the super Christian for a day. How do you feel at the end of the day? Tired. <laughs> tired. Ernie's tired. And by the way, that's true. If you were a super Christian, but let's, let's say besides being tired, what would you... What, what do, you, what do you feel like? What do you, what, what's in your mind? Proud of yourself, elated? Now, let's even take that, by the way, are you okay with, is, what do you think? Is that right? You feel kind of good about yourself, don't you? Okay. And let's take it one step further. In other words, if we do things the way God wants us to do them, or our perception of how God wants to do them, then that means we should be blessed. Right? How'd I do? Oh, you guys don't even want to go there, do you? Look at, look at that. I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to talk about that. But you know what? That's how we're wired, aren't we? We're wired. In other words, if we live right, then we should be treated or rewarded right. Okay? But now, flip side, you have a crummy day. You walk out the door, and you chewed out the dog, and you chewed out your wife, and you yelled at somebody on the phone. You see where I'm going? Trip, 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 trip. At the end of the day, what do you think? God be, help me, right? I failed. And you know what, you know, you know where you feel that day? You feel guilty. Do you see one is performance enhanced? One is guilt induced. And neither one of them is where God works. Did you see where you are at in that? And I'm talking about living after you're saved now. This is critical because this is where most of you here in this room are finding yourselves right there in that time frame. How do we live after we've been saved? This is huge. Excuse me? That's exactly what Paul said. There's the sufficiency of grace. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Because this is super... Do you see, do you see the huge valley that you get yourself tr- entrenched in? And it's still living 
after grace, I'm, I'm using terms, we are performance-based performance or we're guilt-induced. Neither one of those is where God wants you to be because you know what it's based upon? Both sides of those, very different, totally based upon yourself. Totally, totally based upon yourself. And how much good is that going to be for you? None at all. You must live by grace just like you were saved by grace. It's the same. You must depend upon Jesus Christ for every single moment. And you know what? The troubles and the trials get stronger and harder, and you've you got your back to a wall. I'm going to tell you something, just like I've shared many times here in the last several months. You may have to break them down into five-minute segments just to be able to get through. But there's no better place to be than to be dependent for those moments on Jesus Christ. When things are going well, we become more dependent upon whom? That's right. That's right. That's exactly right. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. And your walk with Jesus will just deteriorate. Living by grace is the same as being saved by grace. And you know how we remind ourselves? What, what keeps us there? Someone has said this. i to make sure I get this right. Um, discipline without desire is drudgery. Is that not true? It's absolutely true. And, and I'll just put it, let's put it in, a, in, a, in another, another phase. Working without desire or passion is drudgery. There's people that go through five days of a work week, and at the end, they can't wait to get out of that, and they can't wait to do something else. You need to get a new job. You need to get a different place to work. You must have passion for what you're doing. The same thing is here. Passion for living in grace is super important, but you say no. But, but you see the difference? If I'm performance-based, in other words, I'm driving myself through self-discipline. Now, again, discipline is important, but what should drive you? If it's self-discipline, guess what? You will burn out. Pretty soon that Bible is going to be on the shelf. Pretty soon there's going to be dust in a lot of areas that there shouldn't be. Just the same way, if it's guilt-induced, oh, yeah, boy, I feel, like a, I feel like a loss. The preacher talked to me on Sunday. I mean, it was just like, oh, ram it down my throat. Make me feel small. I feel really like a loser. I'm not going to go back there again, right? Both of those are horribly wrong. That's not grace. That's not grace at all. Grace is living in dependence upon grace. You see the... That's right. In fact, that's, a, that's, a, that's an interesting thing. If our security, now we read in, in chapter 8 of, uh, of Romans, chapter ver, verses 38 and 39, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. When you're in Christ, you are secure in him. Not because you're super cool. It's because Jesus Christ paid for you. He put a lock of the seal of the Holy Spirit that lives within you, and he ain't going anywhere. You have a bad day. You have a good day. It's, now, by the way, he doesn't want you to live in sin. He wants to get you out of there because the fellowship gets broken. He wants you as close to him as possible. But you know what motivates you? This is key. You don't get anything else today. You know what really motivates us to live in grace? Is to continue to remind ourselves of how we got saved by grace. Love should motivate us. When you see your Savior who saved you out of this situation that you can't fix, you shouldn't ignore you can't do anything about it. And he saved you out of that. That sets you up for true humility. And pride is always the biggest enemy that we face. It's the most sinister enemy we've ever faced. Pride. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. 
just like that, that performance-based stuff. Well, I was pretty good yesterday, wasn't I? Wow, that was good. I, I, didn't, I didn't yell at anybody. I, kinda, I sent a thank you note to somebody. I was nice to the cat. was nice to the dog. I was just a pretty good guy. Look at me. Do you see it? It's all me. Living in grace. Living in grace. Now, it's not to say you're not going to have a bad day. I want to show you. There's some, I read this in a book. I thought this was really good. Just a second here. Um, okay, ready? Your worst days are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace. And your best days are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. Isn't that good? That's exactly. If you were going to. If, you said, well, why don't you just read that right away? And you wouldn't have to bother us with all this other stuff. <laughs> Right? Thanks a lot. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Yeah, exactly. Let's go to First uh, Corinthians for a moment. First Corinthians chapter fifteen, verses nine and ten. First Corinthians chapter fifteen. Now, again, this is Paul. Paul is writing this. And what, let's talk about Paul. Before you read those, don't read those verses. What, what, would you, what would you say about Paul, the apostle? What would you say? Seeker of the truth. Seeker of the truth. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. He, he was living by grace. He was. What else would you say about him? All good stuff. What else? Did he have zeal? Was he on, I mean, was he, was he tuned into the program? Was he devoted? I'm telling you what. Could have he kind of taken this performance-based thing and said, pretty good. Yes, he could have. In fact, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was, he was a Jew of Jews. He was taught under Gamaliel. You could go on and on and on and on. This guy is the super St. Paul, right? Exactly. And he was even at, there was an opportunity, it tells us in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he was given a vision. He didn't know if he was there or in a vision, and he saw heaven. I mean, the real deal. Oh, man. I'll tell you what. I couldn't come back. I just, no, I don't want to leave, right? But he saw things that no one else had ever seen. And because of the fact of being exalted to be prideful, God allowed Satan to buffet him to, I'm not, do you see what I'm saying? A thorn in the flesh. We t- did we talk about that? Okay. Yeah. And that thorn, I still, I think of that, that thistle. You ever grabbed something and you didn't have your gloves on? And you can't see it, but boy, can you feel it. Right? And that's what Paul's life was. For a, I understand it to be the remainder of his life. And he asked God three times. He said, would you take this cursed thing away from me? Is it be a lot better for me? My life would be better. Could be better for you. Because if I could preach Jesus louder because I don't have the dumb thorn in my flesh. Now, it wasn't literally a thorn, but it was so, something that was bugging him. And God said, no. My grace is sufficient for you. And then Paul said, in my weakness, I am strong. That's, be- that's living in grace. But let's watch how Paul describes himself now. Let's watch this. I think this is, this is you talk about humility. For I am the least of the apostles, verse 9, chapter 15, that am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. 
And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. That is probably as beautiful a picture of living in grace as anything that I can recount or see in the scripture. That is fantastic. You talk about humility, it's just dripping off of this man. Dripping off of him. He was dependent completely. I want to show us, let's look at something in Luke chapter 15. This isn't normally why we'd use this particular passage of Scripture, but I think it's interesting. I'm going to read it again. It's called, it's the, uh, the prodigal son. The prodigal son. Verse 11. A certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, forgive me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. When he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land. He began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. Uh, How is his life going right now? This is a bad day. This is... is right? And he's had a number of bad days in a row. Verse 17. And when he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father. I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee and am no more worthy to be called thy son and make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring him to the fatted calf, and kill him, and let's eat and be merry. For this son was dead and is alive again, and he was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. What is that a picture of? That's grace. That's, isn't that grace? It's beautiful, beautiful grace. Now, watch. This is, where we, this, is, this is what most of the time this story is about, is God's forgiving grace to someone that did not deserve it. But I want you to show, the next part of it is probably the most painful for me because we have the other son, which is living on performance. And it doesn't tell us whatever happened. Did he really receive grace? We're not told that he did. Let's keep going though. Let's watch it. Did you see it? Uh, Verse, where did I leave off? Yeah, there it is, 25. Now his elder son was in the field. And as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. Uh, Now, question, question, question. Let's talk about relationship for a moment. Okay, we got the father. We got the wayward son. And then we've got the son that's at home, the elder son, right? Now, if you're the elder son, who would you go to to find out what's going on? The father. Did you see there's no relationship? It's all about him. He sees one of the guys. Hey, what's going on in there? You can tell. And he's mad, isn't he? He's uptight. That's right. That's right. He wasn't even around. And you say, well, that's because he was out working. Right? Do you see how he can get on his team, on his side? But you see, every step of the way is all about himself. Every step. Let's keep going. Let's see here. He called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, well, thy brother is back. And thy father hath killed the fatted calf because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry 
and would not go in. He was in a huff. I think it says that there, doesn't it? No, not quite. Therefore, his father came out and entreated him. Now, what it, now, there's something else here that we don't maybe know enough about. But did you see that? He wouldn't come in. The father went out. Which means he probably was invited. Right? He probably was. He was probably invited in. Oh, I see. Sure. You see it? Well, I'm better than he is. I can't believe that. I'm mad about this whole deal. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou gavest me a kid, and yet thou never gavest me a kid, that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son, not his brother, thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. He is in a mood, isn't he? And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. And it was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again and is lost and is found. And unfortunately, there's a period at the end of that sentence. We don't really know how that worked out. See, there, that older son did not know how to live in grace. Not even sure he was saved by grace. Did you see it? Huge deal. Huge, huge deal. Huge. He knew all the laws. That's right. That's right. He had religion. Yeah, that's right. No life. Yeah. No life. Yeah. yeah. And who who was he praising? Himself. Himself. Everything that he had done. Everything he had done. You see that that self exoneration that well I've done this and I've done that and I've done that doesn't cut it. That doesn't cut it. Doesn't cut it. Let's go to Ephesians for a minute. We're going to start tidying up here. Ephesians chapter 4. Because there's something that's also important. Um, when you become saved, when you've trusted Christ as Savior, it's important that we put off and put on. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 through 24. It starts this way. That you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Now, it's interesting that it's almost like putting on a garment. It's to take off those things that are of old, the things that really held you down, that held you back, those things that were besetting you. And then you're to put on these other characteristics. These, for instance, for the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, meekness, temperance, faith. Against such there is no law. All of those things which come because of the Holy Spirit living within you. But just think of a scissors. Um, we don't have one somewhere, do we? Probably not. Is there? Look at him go. There we go. I'm going to take the big one. There's two of them there even. See? Nice. Thank you, Tony. Perfect. Okay. You got a scissors, right? Does it work good? Works really good. I hope you don't need this. There's a hundred dollar bill inside there. Well, I may as well finish it off. Works. It works really good, right? Works really good. Okay. What's the key to it working? It needs to be sharp. That's true. What if I took? I, I picked the wrong scissors. I was going to take it apart. What if I have just one side of it? That $100 bill would have been safe, right? What makes it work is there's two 
exactly the same that work together to accomplish what's done. It's the same in our lives when you think about the fact you need to put off but also put on. You can't just get rid of stuff without putting something else on. You see what I'm saying? You must fill that vacancy. Scissors is a perfect example of that. When they're shearing, when they're cutting together, when they're moving in unison, putting on, putting off, that's exactly how your, your life becomes very fine-tuned and is beautiful in what it accomplishes in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is all under the umbrella of grace. All under the umbrella of grace. Is grace rich? It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. I want to, I want to leave this verse with you because probably there's going to be a time that you're going to feel like not getting back up. You've had that, oh. And you've had those days where it just starts off sort of okay, and it's, oh. And by the end of the day, it's a spiral. You can't even catch up to get up, right? And yes, you know. I know you do because that's the way life works. Paul knew about that. Let's go to Philippians. Let's go to Philippians. Chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3. One of the things that was key, a key component to Paul is he wanted to know. In fact, I'm not, let's, let's read this passage. This is a little more than I had originally thought about, but let's go to Philippians chapter 3, and we'll start in verse 4. Now, Paul is using himself as an example. He's in prison because he's really spreading the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, but he's writing this letter to the Philippians. You know what he's writing about? He's writing about joy. How can he be joyful in prison? Because he's got a relationship and he's got all the stuff in a row. Here we go. Verse 4. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he has any, where he might trust in the flesh, I the more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Judah, a Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, is touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yes, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. And this is where we're back to that imputation. That was imputed into Paul's account. That Watch verse 6, verse 10. That I may know him relationally. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Now watch how he finishes this out. Verses 13 and 14. This is what I want to leave you with today. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And I'm asking you to press on. Press forward. When you fall down, just get back up. Grace is so fulfilling and so rewarding, and it's there to help you. It strengthens you. It guides you. It comforts you. Press on. Make that your life verse. Press on. Press on. Press on. Grace. Grace. Oh, I told you I was going to stop, didn't I? One more verse that I do really want to share with you because this is super important. Second Corinthians, write this one down. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse fourteen. This one jumped out at me today. This is way cool. Second Corinthians chapter five and verse fourteen. 
Verse 14, chapter 5, 2 Corinthians, it says this. For the love of Christ constraineth us. The love of Christ constraineth us. That word is to compel, to push. In fact, there's a, there's a um, what's his name? Weist, I uh, can't think of his first name. Um, translated that portion of scripture. The love of Christ is pressing on me from every side to push me on. That is so good. That's really what we're about, is understanding the full love that God gave for us. That's what gets me up in the morning. That's what keeps me going. That's what gets it done, knowing what he did for me. And with that, let's keep pressing on. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your care. Thank you for grace. As we've unpackaged today and reviewed it and looked at it from several different angles, Father, it's not just a matter of being saved by grace through faith, but living by grace through faith. The opportunities that you've given us, the love that you've exhibited, are amazing and awesome. Father, there are times in our lives that it's difficult. Conflicts are rampant. We can spiral out of control, it seems like. But, Father, bring us back. Hold us close. In the power of your tremendous grace, allow us to press on. May we be focused on you and your provisions. And we thank you once again for the grace that was accomplished in Jesus Christ. And these things we ask in his name. Amen.